If you have a Bible with you, I'd like for you to turn with me this morning to the book of James chapter 1. As we continue in our series through the book of James, we are not very far into it just yet. James chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 2, but those of you who have been with us, you know that verses 2 to 4 was the text for last, the last sermon, or the sermon for last, and this morning our text will be verses 5 to 8, but we do need to keep it in its proper context, so I'm going to start reading in verse 2, but just be mindful that we're going to be focusing in on verses 8 to, I mean 5 to 8. My brethren, or my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations or trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith produces patience or steadfastness. But let patience have her perfect work, or let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom... Let him ask of God that giveth all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Our Father, that is our prayer this morning collectively as those, my brothers and sisters, join in this prayer with me that your name would be hallowed in all the earth beginning in our hearts today. May you be highly exalted and lifted up and may we submit ourselves to your sovereign authority and rule In our lives. We were created for your glory. And for your purpose. And we pray that today. As we read these verses. Father that you inspired. So many years ago. That your spirit would come now. And be our teacher. Lord that you would cause these words. Not to just fall upon our ears. Deaf. But that these words. O Lord would be made effectual by your spirit today that we may go from this place being strengthened in the faith and receiving that overflow that comes from faith which is joy in you our maker so teach us father from your word make us stronger disciples for the glory of jesus christ in whose name we pray amen wisdom in trials Wisdom and trials is what this whole message is about because that's what these verses are about. Because I read the last message from this series, the text there, 2 to 4, which gives us the context for verse 5. Namely, that wisdom is needed in order for us to endure the trials, in in order for us to persevere to remain steadfast in the faith and live in the midst of that trial in such a way that God is glorified and Christ is made evident for 
who he is and the joy and the pleasure and the satisfaction and the peace that he can bring to a person's life, the wisdom that we need to endure those trials in that way so that we persevere in godliness, so that we persevere in a Christ-exalting way is what this text is about. We could sum it up by saying the spiritual perfection that is the goal of the trials in verses 2 to 4 will be achieved only when divine wisdom is present. And that wisdom can be had for the asking if that asking is with the right attitude, namely in sincerity and without corruption. So there's a brief synopsis of where we're going to go, and let's just look at it now verse by verse if we could. Beginning in verse 5, as we point out, if any of you lack wisdom, the primary word here to focus in on is this wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God. It's not the wisdom of the world. If any of you lacks wisdom because, and you can see very clearly why a person would need wisdom like this. Because it is not the normal humanistic reaction to trials to count them all joy. (laughs) I don't go through trials and the first thing that my humanistic nature does is say, Hallelujah, praise the Lord that I'm going through this trial. Praise the Lord that I've fallen into this difficulty in my life. But as we learned last week, it's not the trial in and of itself that we rejoice in, is it? Rather, it is the outcome of that trial. It is the understanding that we have a sovereign father in heaven who loves us as his children and that he's working all things after the counsel of his will. Namely, he's working all things together for good. To those who love him, to those who are the called according to his purpose, according to Romans 8.28. And because we know that our loving father has orchestrated and ordained the events of our lives so that... We will fall into these trials and that when we go through these trials, what's going to happen is God is going to begin pruning us and as a master sculptor is going to begin shaping us and chipping off the remaining corruption that we have so that we grow in a deeper relationship with God. So that our faith being put to the test To find out whether it's genuine faith, to find out whether it's authentic or not, is going to deepen our faith and it will deepen our experiential relationship with our Father. It makes me think of the book of Proverbs because in the book of Proverbs we learn that the beginning of wisdom is to fear the Lord. The beginning of wisdom, the beginning of knowledge, true, heavenly, divine wisdom to live your life with skill comes from an awestruck reverence and fear of God. And you know the famous verses, Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not into your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. That's the kind of wisdom that we need to endure trials for the glory of God. 
How do you suffer rightly for Jesus' sake? It's going to take some wisdom, isn't it? Not humanistic, not natural to the human nature, but something from the divine nature must come so that we can have a wisdom from above. Paul talks about this later on in James chapter 3 and verse 17. He says the wisdom that comes from above, this divine wisdom is first pure, then peaceable and gentle. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and it's sincere. And James tells us that if we're going to endure trials of various kinds, and we're going to do that and persevere in steadfastness in faith and deepen our faith and mature and ripen as beautiful pictures of Christ as he chips away the remaining corruption that we have that we may not even know we have until we go through the trial, we have to have this wisdom. Because very often when we go through trials and difficulties in life, the first thing that we want to do is complain. And the first thing that we want to do, if we're honest, is to get out from underneath the trials. Is that not true? The first thing you want to do is you say, I don't want to go through this. I want to get out from this. And so we go and we use the logic of our brains and the humanistic intellect and we say, okay, how can I fix this? What can I do to get out from under this trial that I've fallen in when the message from last time was don't try to do that because God has brought you to this place for his good purposes. You're going to grow. You're going to thrive. And you're going to be transformed into the image of Christ more deeply, more clearly than you were before by going through the trial. Now that's a wisdom that comes from God. And James says, I would say when you hear me say that, verses 2 to 4, that you may say, what's he talking about? And he says, if that happens, you need to ask God. And he gives us some incentive in verse 5. He says, with these two phrases for asking, he says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God that gives to all men liberally and abradeth not. Let's take those two phrases, generously and without reproach. Does that... Clear it up just a little bit. That's what it means. Liberally, generously, and without reproach. He doesn't upbraid. He doesn't rebuke us as we come to ask him for the wisdom that we need to live this life to the glory and honor of God. Because you have to remember now, James is dealing with faith. He's dealing with the proving, the testing of your faith to see if it's authentic, to see if it's genuine or not. So we need this kind of wisdom because we want to live this life. We want to live this life, as he says in chapter 2, let's not have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. And as we go through these various tests that we see in the book of James, holding our faith up to the biblical faith and saying, is my life consistent with that that I see in the word of God, and the character of God. And the two incentives that I see here are these two phrases. This, the word generously and the, word without, and the phrase without reproach. Because what it does is it gives us a picture of our Father in heaven. That he is standing at the ready. And he's wanting. He's wanting to hear one of his little children cry out to him for wisdom. The burdens of life have come. And I'm under this trial 
And I'm crying out to my father. And what, what is he doing? What is he doing? He says, you should know better. No. He's got an infinite supply of wisdom. For every situation. Remember we learned that that phrase, the, the trials of various kinds, is literally many colored. It may be different lengths. It may be different Different circumstances, it may be physical trial, it may be emotional trial, it may be spiritual trials, it may be financial trials. It's hard to tell, it's hard to tell how long it's going to be. But God has wisdom for every single one of them. And we have to ask him for it because he's ready to give without reproach. He's not going to scold us for not having the wisdom that we need, but rather he's standing ready to give. Because you see, God knows our weakness. <laughs> He knows, especially under trials. So let that sink in. He brings the trials. He knows our weaknesses. Do you think he has a plan? Well, if you do, you're getting some of that wisdom. The wisdom that comes from above understands that God is working this trial for his greater glory and for our further development spiritually into a mature follower and image bearer of Jesus Christ. So he turns the corner in verse 6 and gives some qualifications. He says, But let him ask in faith, not wavering. Some qualifiers for this kind of asking, and I kind of reserved it in my mind. In verse 5, he says, let him ask. And in verse 6, he says, let him ask. Let the person ask who's lacking faith. And you can't hardly see it there in, in in the English, but in the Greek, it is clearly an imperative. You're commanded to ask. You see, because God is orchestrating all of this. And he has designed in his plan that you will come under the burden, see your sinfulness, see your weakness, see your need, and then you will come and ask him for it. And then he's going to give it to you and he's going to be glorified because you trust him for the wisdom. He's going to be glorified because he gives you the wisdom to live in a way that pleases him. And you're going to be changed. Through the whole process. But we must ask in faith without doubting. And I'm reminded of John chapter 14 verse 13. When Jesus said. Whatever you ask in my name. This I will do. That the father may be glorified in the son. And so we must ask with the right attitude. We must ask with faith and not doubting. And you say well that's pretty cut and dry. That's pretty simple right? Well, think about it. Think about your life under trials or out of the trials. Think about the trials of prosperity. You ever thought of that? That's what I think our country is under. The church is under a trial of prosperity. And you want to know what I think about it? I think we're failing as a whole. Because we're saying, give me this prosperity and I'm going to use it for me. And Jesus called us to take up our cross and follow him so that other people can come to know him as their personal savior. 
That's a mini-sermon there. But we must ask in faith. And I think about it. I think about some of the times when we come and pray. (laughs) And we become so accustomed to trying to get ourselves out of the predicaments that we get ourselves into or that we fall into that we are trying to use worldly humanistic logic to get out of the trial and we might pray, but our hearts are not really sincere. I think about some of the prayers and I don't want to pick on you, I'll pick on me. But some of the times I walk away from a prayer and and God just stops me and says, you know, what was that? You you just went through that. You could have done that blindfolded. Some of you, if you think about it, your prayers probably consist of the same exact words. And are they filled with faith? Spiritual, God-given faith that trusts God for in wisdom for the circumstance that you're praying about? Or are you coming to God with a divided mind? Like, God, I know you brought me into this, but really, I don't want to be under it, and I hope you'll get me out of it. And not seeing the wisdom of a father who has orchestrated this to make you a more clear, beautiful image bearer of Christ. You have to see that. And it comes from God's wisdom. Again, this is consistent with the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. For example, in the book of Matthew, he says in chapter 21... And verse 21, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, namely it withered up in a very short period of time, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Of course, this creates a dilemma. We have to quickly rescue ourselves here from what seems to be the clear implication. Well, if I just have more faith, (laughs) if I just have more faith, I can get whatever I want. Is that what he's saying? (laughs) Well, just try it and see. You'll find out that's not what he's saying. No, we need to quickly clarify that this is not a blank check promise. You know what I'm saying? It's not like God has signed the bottom of the check and tells you to fill it in with your heart's desire. Whatever you want, whatever fits your fancy at the time. That's not the kind of promise that we've been given if we pray in faith. A couple of qualifiers that we might mention. We should pray in faith only with that which lines up with the clear promises to the children of God in Scripture. Another thing to remember is that the promises of God are not for the people that are not the children of God. I mean, people out there that's on Facebook and they see pray in faith for whatever they're going through at the time, but yet they're living in stark rebellion against the Lord and they're not born again by the Spirit of God and therefore they're not the children of God, they cannot expect to receive anything from the Lord. So it has to be a clear promise from God for his children. And secondly, it must be in accord with the will of God. And we know that's true because it's explicitly said in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 14. You know that verse. This is what it says. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Even Jesus himself in the garden prayed, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet, Not as I will, but what you will. 
All things are possible with God. And yet God maintains his sovereign control and authority to determine what's going to happen. But that doesn't stop us from praying in faith with sincerity and with a consistent heart that believes and trusts in the Lord with all of our heart, with a heart that does not lean into our own understanding, with a life that says, I'm going to live for you in all of the ways of my life. I'm not going to be wise in my own eyes. I'm not going to try to figure out what's best for me now. I'm going to lean not into my own understanding. But in all my ways, I want to acknowledge God and he will direct my paths. Of course, the opposite of this believing here is wavering inconsistency toward God. A wavering inconsistency toward God. And I think about Abraham. He's known in the scriptures as the man of faith. And in Romans chapter 4 and verse 20, the Apostle Paul talks about him and he says this, No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. And in verse 6, James gives the reason here. He says that you should not waver because you're not going to receive the things from God if you're not first believing and trusting and depending and delighting upon God in the first place when you ask. But you ever thought about that verse that I just read from Romans 4? It said, he did not distrust. No distrust made him waver concerning the promise of God. And I want to say, and you want to say what? Well, he kind of did. Didn't he? <laughs> when, he took his, when he took Hagar and he had a child by her to try to fulfill God's promise. You see how God gives us an example here. Of what he's talking about. An example of what I was trying to say earlier. <laughs> that we try to quickly. Okay God's given me a promise. That I'm going to have a son. And this son is going to be the child of the promise. And my wife is barren. So I better go get another woman. And have a child through her. Right? That sounds logical. Wrong. Because that's the wisdom of man. And not the wisdom from God. So he did kind of waver. So what is Paul saying? No distrust made him waver. But he grew strong in faith. I believe the consistent teaching of Scripture is not that there is not any variation of doubt at any single solitary point in our lives. That's not what he's saying. But it's like this, the father that came to Jesus who needed healing for his daughter. And he came to him and Jesus said, if you'll believe, this will happen. And the father, in a moment of desperate honesty, said to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You see that? Abraham had a life that was consistently dependent upon God, trusting in God, acknowledging God with all of his ways, but he was not a perfect man. He had feet of clay, had remaining corruption within him, and therefore he did waver some, but in the whole of his life and the consistent disposition and orientation of Abraham's heart and life, he was a man of faith. He was a man who trusted in the Lord. And so in verse 6, we see the word for, which gives the reason for praying in faith. For, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavers is like a wave of the sea, driven by the wind and tossed. And so he gives this illustration 
of a person like being on the waves of the sea with its shifting movement because of the strength and the direction of the waves. And he says in verses 7 and 8, let not that man think that he's going to receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And I see a picture here of a person who is shifting all the time. And there's thousands of people sitting in pews this morning. Not fixed. We'll have an orientation that is fixed upon God. Their lives are, are not consistent. They claim to know God. And James is saying, don't hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with this inconsistency because the gospel that we proclaim says that when you are born again, the Spirit of Christ indwells you and you are made a new creature. You're not the same. And you now have a different orientation, a different focus in your life. Namely, one that is centered upon God and the glory of God and the exaltation of Christ through the advancing of the gospel and the conversion of souls and the discipling of those souls. And so we see here a picture of someone who is going to the world for wisdom one moment and going to God the next. And there's this divided person. It's unstable, inconsistent in all of his ways. He picks this up again in chapter 4, verse 3, when he says that you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to consume it upon your own passions, your own lusts. So there again, we go to God with our humanistic logic and our desire to have our own agendas fulfilled and we want God to sign the check of that prayer. Instead of praying for the wisdom to live in the trial for the glory of Jesus Christ. This phrase double-minded in verses 7 and 8 is the first time in Greek literature that you find it. He uses it again in the same letter in chapter 4 verse 8 when he says, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> and here again, James is calling us just like last week. Throughout the letter, he's calling us to a consistent, wholehearted, consistent faith and commitment to God. And I realize that these two messages are not the kind of messages that, you know, it's not like singing, I've got a mansion on a hilltop, is it? It's like take up your cross and when you suffer... You're going to be the better for it. Heaven's going to be the sweeter for it. And God's going to be glorified through it. You see that? Can you rejoice in that? If you can't, then ask for the wisdom. Let's pray. Father, as we come to the close of our time in your word together, I realize how a message like this can land on a heart that just wants to get through this trial. A heart that just wants to be out from under this burden. And I can relate to that. But oh God, give us wisdom to see that in the midst of the most difficult times in our life, you become so much sweeter, so much more real, 
And our faith is bolstered. Our faith is strengthened and deepened if we do, in fact, possess that true and biblical faith. Thank you for the testing so that we can know whether we have that gift of faith from you. Thank you for that testing. Thank you for putting us through the fires so that we can come out brighter, clearer image bearers of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us live for his glory. If there's one here today that maybe for the first time in their life they began to see their need for you as their personal Savior and Lord, would you help them? Would you grant them today that repentance and faith by opening those blinded eyes, unstopping those deaf ears, and softening that old stony heart that today they may believe in Jesus Christ for their Savior as their Savior and Lord? In Jesus' name we pray, amen.